If you're a pastor, elder, deacon, nonprofit board member, or business owner, I need you to listen to this. K&K Furnishings needs to be on your short list. K&K Furnishings are committed to helping you find the right furnishings for your church or organization. These guys specialize in quality worship seating, welcome centers, cafes, nurseries, classrooms, as well as stage and podium furnishings. The two owners have over 70 years of combined pastoral experience, so not only will every transaction be handled with integrity and professionalism, but they have the experience to provide you with the perfect solutions for your furniture needs, and they absolutely understand your budget constraints and demands. K&K Furnishings are devoted to providing you quality pieces that save you money. They can do this because they don't have the overhead of a brick and mortar store and they have relationships with over 200 manufacturers nationwide. Look, we all know there's a lot of junk out there. K&K understands that many times bargains aren't true money savers. They end up costing you more in the long run. At K&K, they believe that quality furnishings don't have to be outrageously expensive. And here's the best part. K&K Furnishings sells nationally and can also provide in-person consultations in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. If you can't meet in person, they'd be happy to set up a Zoom consultation for you today. So whatever your next project is, whether it's your home office or your church sanctuary, K&K Furnishings is the only place you need to look. Go to www.kkfurnishings.com to see how they can help you or call 567-318-4520. That's www.kkfurnishings.com or call 567-318-4520 or click on the link in the description of this episode. K&K Furnishings, furnishing business, education, worship, and hospitality for the glory of God. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I got to tell you about Jacob's Supply. Jacob's Supply is the place you got to go for all of your material needs. These guys bring you construction supplies and appliances for up to 50% off retail price, all brand new. Your home builder needs some lumber? Jacob's Supply has you covered. You a deacon at your church and you're in charge of that next Narthex floor job? Jacob's Supply has got you. Heck, they got Cortec Luxury Vinyl Plank right now for $3.59 a square foot. Go look that stuff up at Lowe's or Home Depot, man. That stuff is selling for $7 to $8 a square Square foot. That's over 50% off retail. Even if you just have some home projects you're working on, Jacob Supply is the place for you. I just built an outdoor grilling area this spring for that old smoker and grill. Guess where I got the metal roof, lumber, and screws? Yeah, that's right, Jacob Supply. Looking for a fridge, stove, washer, dryer? They got them all, and their name brand. Samsung, Bosch, Frigidaire, all 20, 30, 40% off retail. Brand new and ready for you. Located in Temperance, Michigan, it's worth it to stop by even if you're a few hours away. And remember, Jacob Supply can ship products nationally too. So even if you're out of state, you gotta check them out. Follow them on Facebook at Jacob Supply or call them direct at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978. 0978. Remember, Jacob Supply, quality building materials at wholesale prices. And now, on to the show. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between, broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Walking Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Moore. You can find me at dmwpodcast.com. We're coming live from the Y Calvinism Conference in Tullahoma, Tennessee. And just met a gentleman uh, that I didn't know personally. We were in a group chat for a few weeks before that. Um, opened up the pre-conference yesterday on the, uh, on the dangers of full preterism. It's Jeremiah Nortier. Hello. I'm saying that correctly. Yes, sir. You okay. Got it. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Greg. Thanks for having me on. In our Facebook group chats, there was just so many memes, so many gifts and <laughs> jokes. I would just kind of scroll through, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, there's a lot going on there." Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it is funny because I my joke is I'll meet people that I've you know kind of 
communicated with on Facebook or Instagram and go, you know, you're a lot bigger in person. <laughs> it's just that little icon in the corner. It's, it's hard to, you know, yeah. get to yeah. know people, but, um, Tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. I know we're not going to uh, stick around here too long, but I want you to touch on full preterism because it's what you talked about last okay. night. It was absolutely unbelievable. I know you have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, remind me. The, the Apologetic Dog. The Apologetic Dog. One of the coolest logos it's, uh, in the game. The, the it's a angle dog with was, a beard. we got to have a dog with a beard, but what dog is going to fit that beard? <laughs> so it went with a pit bull. It went with a pit bull. And, uh, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with kind of defending of the faith yep. and uh, theology and discernment, right? Yeah, in that logo, you'll see 1 Timothy 6.20, which is an incredible verse where Paul says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Mm. And so the apologetic dog is really all Christians guarding the gospel of grace. And then we see the offensive nature. He says, Timothy, avoid irreverent babble by um, avoiding um, pagan philosophy, irreverent babble, and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Mm. And so on the way we get knowledge, I'm I'm a student of Greg Bonson and Cornelius Van Til, and we stand on the word of God presuppositionally so. That's the only place you get truth and and knowledge. And so that's how we contend for the truth of God and how we guard the gospel of grace. I'm I'm rereading... Against all opposition uh-huh. okay. right now. Yeah. Uh, just going back through it and just remembering, wow, gosh, I love Greg Bonson and that yeah. school of like, you better be informed. You better understand, you know, um, you know, when you're talking to a Muslim or a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness, like be, be learned about those things yeah, because they absolutely. know they know what you believe yeah. and be ready to defend the faith. So uh, awesome. I, I love you uh, mentioning those two names. We're on the same page here. But um, for the listeners, uh, we wanted to make this kind of a, sh- a shorter little snippet, and I know we're not going to be able to cover everything in that amount of time, but give us a definition of preterism for those listening that might yeah. not know. Yeah, so preterism just on its face is praetor, Latin for past, past fulfillment. And so preterism on its own is not a bad term. If you're a Christian, you believe some prophecies are in the past, like the virgin birth, the, the in, sure. incarnation happened in our past. But where full preterism comes in and says all biblical prophecies have been fulfilled in the past, leading up to 70 AD. Yeah, and we're talking about eschatology here, the, end, the end of things, the end times. So if you're listening to that and you haven't heard that term, that's what he's talking about. So we have, and you have a couple things within there. You have like a partial preterism view. Right. You have a full preterism view. What's a, what's a partial preterism view? Yeah. And then maybe tell us the full preterism view and why maybe one might be harmful and one might not, or are they both not great to hold to? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Partial preterism uh, affirms, like um, the book of Revelation and all of it discourse, that a large majority, you heard Dr. Frost speak last night, the mm-hmm. 95%, that 95% of the scriptures have been fulfilled, maybe leading up to 70 AD. Okay. And so, like, the destruction of the temple is meaningful for what Jesus was prophesying to occur. But if we could say the 5% that is in our future, our, our wonderful blessed hope, is the future bodily return of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the restoration of all things. Okay. That's still not yet. That's future. But partial. a partial might say, hey, look at uh, what, what Jesus was talking about in parts of Matthew 24. Exactly. That, that was the temple, and that's been fulfilled. Right. And okay. that necessarily influences how you interpret the book of Revelation. Okay. Or vice versa. Right. But that's partial, orthodox, healthy, and good, and we can continue the conversation. Right. Full preterist says all of the Olivet Discourse is talking about one unit, and that was in the past. Dispensationalist, 
might look at that as one unit and just put it all in the future. Mm. So it's a similar hermeneutic going on. Okay. And the partial, or I'm sorry, the full preterism is where we can really get into some heresy and some weird stuff, right? I mean, because we're essentially saying, um, and you touched on it last night, maybe you can give us those three points if you remember them, or three or four points. Of um, it's it's all been fulfilled. There's there's no resurrection of the dead. There's no bodily return of, of Christ. These are the things that a full preterist believe, or they have to believe, they, right? Yeah, of the mixed bag of full, and we say hyper preterism because it redefines Christianity. Yeah, they all unify on these three points. They believe uh, that the that Jesus' return already happened. The resurrection of the dead already happened. They believe everything already happened, but the restoration of all things. That's everything that we unify for. Our blessed, hope, our blessed hope, and they look at that as, no, we're going to redefine that until Jesus' second coming was spiritual. Mm. It was covenantal. It happened at the destruction of the temple. And you heard me touch on 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, Paul makes a strong argument. No, Jesus' resurrection and ascension and necessarily his parousy, his return, it's all bodily. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, And Paul says he's the first fruit. So if we ask what kind of resurrection will we, we have, it's not merely spiritual. Yeah. It's bodily as well because Jesus is the first fruits. He's the example. He's the rule, not the exception. So we, we yeah. expounded more on that last night, and so that will yeah. be released to everyone before too long. I, I feel like it's n- not that hard of an argument because, I mean, Paul's arguing against all kinds of Gnosticism and, and spiritualizing right. all these physical aspects, yet we're sitting here talking about hyper-preterism and full-preterism because it seems to be not growing in popularity, but more people are considering it or talking about it. Why do you think that is, and how long has this heresy been around? Um, the heresy that's full-fledged, um, articulated, is not even 30 years old and began wow. with Max King, a Church of Christ minister, um, who started codifying covenant eschatology in the early 1990s. So I'm wow. just saying it's really new on the scene, which should cause red flags. Yeah. Right? Now you ask me why. This is a little bit controversial, and perhaps there's many reasons, but we've seen an uptick in post-millennialism, which is orthodox and good and healthy, and we can continue the conversation. But there are people that will take post-millennialism and tweak it and twist it slightly, and then it pumps out into full preterism. And I'll tell Mm. you what I want to cause my post-millennialist brothers to just be mindful of, and it's how we articulate this age and the age to come. Okay. Okay. And so if we do not see this age as this temporal perishing evil age, and we look at that as the mosaic Jewish age that ended in 70 AD, well, now we have issues with the Olivet Discourse where the parousia is to happen at the end of the age, that Jesus would be with us even to, and lo, even to the end of the age. And so if we put that back at 70 AD, well, now we're in a pickle with yeah. the parousia. And so I'm saying post-millennialism, love Jeff Durbin, Dr. White, and I've got to talk with Doug Wilson, really had a lot of respect for R.C. Sproul. Like, to me, post-millennialism, healthy, contend for the kingdom, preach God's law, preach God's gospel. Mm. But we have to be careful of how we articulate this age and the eternal state of well, the age to come. you're saying that, but I think everyone you just mentioned and most of the post-millennials that I know, yeah. um, they, they, have, they almost all interpret it that way. Uh, I would think so. I think if I talk to, if I'm remembering correctly, Doug Wilson, Jeff Durbin, some of the people you mentioned, they go, that is the Jewish age, the animal sacrifice stop. That was, that's their partial preterism because for post mill to work, you kind of have to have that partial preterism, don't you? I mean, I mean, I guess you, 
I think you do. I don't know. I'm you thinking this have, out live on. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, and you're right. You do have to be a partial preterist, but what you, you don't have to be committed to <clears throat> is, is that, how you understand and this the age. age and age okay. to come. And what I'm saying, saying is be post-mill to the bone, <laughs> but this age Jesus defined in the Gospels, and you heard in my presentation, this is an... This is a temporal age where temporal things like marriage are going on. We're, we're eating, we're drinking, we're being married with one another. Um, in this temporal age, that's perishing. Yeah. And so this is much more, this, check this out. This To me, this is the right mindset. This includes the Jewish aeon. Yeah. It in, includes the, the age of the Gentiles, if you will. Both of those fall under this age. Yeah. So we need to be careful. And we can be partial preterists with affirming that this age is all the way till the end of time. Wow. Does that make yeah. sense? No, absolutely. That's, that's just the caution because I've been in a lot of conversations, and trust me, a lot of healthy post-millennialists affirm exactly what I'm saying, but I've noticed the trend with some of the men we've mentioned that kind of see that a little bit differently, and praise God, they know where to be very careful. For. Sure. And I've had Doug Wilson on my podcast, okay. and we talked about the dangers of hyperpreterism, and he did a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's, uh, well, I do know, uh, for me, uh, as an optimistic amillennialist. Mm. Um, I thought you were maybe post-mill. Since no, you're, I'm just waiting. Right? Yeah, I am, but I'm just waiting. <laughs> look at, look at, and I, and I love Durbin and I love Doug Wilson. Yeah. He's been on the podcast many times. I do Fight, Laugh, Feast. I'm on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network with uh-huh. Cross Politic. I just haven't heard a more convincing argument for me scripturally than amillennialism. It's just usually the, I'd say simplest. It's not that it is the simplest, but it's just so congruent with the rest of the Bible that we have, that we have a redemption plan, a death, a resurrection, an ascension, and a return. Uh, here, here are the two things that have convinced me of all millennialism for today, I tell people, you know, yeah, because I want to be charitable in these conversations. Yeah. But the all mill seems to consistently affirm that Jesus can return at any moment. Yeah. Just like the parable of the ten virgins. Be ready, be watchful, have your wicks trimmed, right? Yeah. As where post mill seems to be committed to say we're in the early days of the church and we got a lot of work to do, implying that Jesus can't return now. Now, I know there's different views within that, but like Doug Wilson, yeah. some of them would say... Yeah, we're in the early days of the church, not the last days when he's going to return. So that's something I think falls in favor for the all-millennial position. Yeah. And um, we can get to, to some more of those details. Um, but like I said, maintaining that this age and the age to come is very important yeah. in this conversation for sure. Yeah. So anyone out there that comes across that or might be talking to someone uh, and they bring up preterism or partial preterism, I would say, you know, reference this, do a little study, make sure you understand what you're talking about. We've had an influx of new listeners, so we've covered this, you know, years before. We're going into year four right now on the podcast, but I thought it was a good opportunity just to sit down with you and and kind of cover that. The other point I was going to say, because it just left my mind, Mm -hmm. but post-mill... And props to them, it's they, they kind of say this winner's mentality, winner's mentality, yeah. right? Jesus uh, gave us marching orders not to fail, but to, to conquer. And I want to take a step back and say, but it seems like Paul's mentality was victory through suffering. Yeah. That's what I'll be preaching on here in a little bit. Calvinism but, in tribulation. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so throw out your socials, tell people where they can find you and uh, get a hold of you. Uh, a couple things I want to say, two main things, is I serve as a pastor and elder at 12.5 Church. You can find us at 12.5church.com. This is a church plant in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So nice. if you're in the northeast Arkansas area, we'd love for you to come check out our fellowship. Uh, we've just um, leased out a new building in our downtown area. 
so blessed. And so I serve as a pastor and elder uh, with Nathan Hargrave, who is the, the other elder and son of Roy Hargrave, who um, was a wonderful man, passed away just a few years ago, but had a big reach and impact. Um, had a big impact in Keith Foskey's understanding the uh, the doctrines of grace. Yeah. So good connection there. So twelve five church number one. That's a that's a Bible verse by the way. Romans twelve verse five. Sure. Even though we are individually one of another, we are one together in the body of Christ. Sure. Ephesians two here. Dead men oh, man. walking right. Once yep. dead, now rise. Amen. Now alive. Um, so my church family has said, Jeremiah, we see your heart and love for apologetics, and we need to support you in that. And so my apologetics ministry is the apologetic dog. Woof, woof. Uh, <laughs> and you can find me mainly on YouTube. That's where kind of all my content is coming from. But I have big plans to reach all the other social media platforms. Okay. Look at the website because it's really bad. But it's about to get revamped, so you got to see that it's before. It's about to get real good. Yeah, it's about to be real good. <laughs> well, Jeremiah, thanks for sitting down with us. Looking forward to your uh, next session. And, uh, guys, remember, chief unto man is to glorify God, enjoy him forever. We'll be back with more. God bless. Andrew, my man. So uh, we heard you this morning in your first session. You mean uh, you were awake for it? <laughs> I was, you know, that's the tough one because uh, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> The first 15 minutes, I'm going, okay, stay awake. Let's get that coffee flowing in me. But um, it was good stuff, man. Uh, the conference so far has been, I mean, we're only through halfway through day one, and it's been pretty awesome, hasn't it? A lot. It? There's a lot of great content. Yeah, t touch on what you talked about a little bit. Well, I mean, a, a lot of it was the history of Calvinism. Was my get right up on that microphone, too, yeah. if you don't mind. So the history of Calvinism, right? The, yeah. This was the topic assigned to me, which... which as I said, you have Dr. James White, a history <laughs> professor. Why am I doing this subject? <laughs> Talk about the pressure. If you say anything wrong, like, you know, that, that fear of that look, that glaring look of you, just, you got that wrong, you know. Yeah. Uh, make, make sure you pronounce Augustus' name right, you know. <laughs> okay. but, uh, but a lot of people don't know all the history, a lot of the history that, that folks don't value, especially when it comes to the theology. Yeah. A lot of people think like, oh, we're in the 21st century. We got it all figured out. And it's always been that way. Yeah. And, and they don't think through the development of the theology mm. over time. You're looking at the great debates we've had that we've discussed, right? You had Augustus and Pelagian. Yeah. But that didn't end the debate. Then you had Luther and Erasmus. Yeah. And, and we talk about <laughs> Calvin and Arminius, but really the debate that happened was their followers because by the time yeah. they ended up really what we consider Calvinism today when we talk about the tulip yeah. both those men were long dead before the five points really yeah. the five points of the remonstrance and then the counterpoints from the counter remonstrance. Yeah and you did a really good job of kind of talking about the history of the points. A lot of people outside of the reformed or Calvinistic tradition don't understand, it wasn't like Calvinists came along and said, oh, here's our five points. It was in response to Arminius and his five. Yeah. And um, you did a really nice job of, of showing that and kind of giving the history of it. And this conference so far, which of course, we're right now we're at the Why Calvinism Conference in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and uh, going through the history of Calvinism, going through, um, we just heard Keith Foskey talk about, um, you know, the, the Calvinism of Luther. Claude Ramsey was earlier today. You started the conference um, 
which I which I thought was awesome to have someone with your energy and knowledge right up front get us going, lay the foundation right so we can build on it. Um, but uh, some of the stuff, you know, I, I've been in the reform camp for since 25 when I really first started digging into it and been learning ever since. But just in this first day, I'm already learning some things that I didn't know. Um, it, it's unbelievable to me that we have so many believers with so little knowledge of not only scripture, but church history. Uh, sometimes I'll talk to someone who's been sitting in a pew or a church seat for 30 years, and they don't go beyond their kind of three or four talking points of their non-denominational Baptist light, or maybe it's an SBC, or maybe it's an AG church. And when you really start talking to them about church history, and what do these guys believe, and that believe, and these arguments and debates they were having, they'll look at you with a blank face and go, geez, I, I don't know. And, and this conference is so rich with that. I mean, every guy I talk to you or, like I said, Keith or Claude or Dr. White or any of these guys, um, just a wealth of knowledge of not only scriptural history but church history too, which I think it's important to know that. It, it is you know? important because people think that the theology was created in a vacuum. <laughs> right. Just came out of, it, yeah. Oh, yeah, here, just, one day boom. just presented yeah. to you on a platter. Yeah. Correct. And it didn't. It, it came... <clears throat> this is one of the things I tried to bring out was there is fruit from Pelagius. There's fruit from Arminius. There's fruit from Armini, uh, 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 Erasmus. The fruit is that because of what they taught, we had people correcting that. People that had to think through, okay, how do we answer this? Yeah. And later, other people come up and try to find different ways to explain error yeah. within the... So it needs to be clarified again. That's what refines our theology. Yeah. And when you look at it through history, and I kind of mentioned this, in the early church, they weren't worried about end times. This is a big yeah. discussion we have, like a lot around at this conference, a lot of joking with that. But sure. their concern was, was Jesus Christ truly God and truly man? How do we explain right. that? Because their argument was, if he's not truly man, he cannot be a, a substitute for other humans. But if he wasn't truly God, how yeah. could he pay an eternal fine? They were wrestling with that. So really, at the heart of it was the doctrine of salvation. Right. But it started with the nature of Jesus Christ. That's yeah. the first thing that had to be debated. But then shortly after that, by Augustus's time, was the nature of salvation. Yeah, right. Because once you've defined, okay, this is who Jesus is, why did he come? Yeah. Now that you've addressed that, as church history ends up happening, you get into more of, okay, what is the church? Yeah. Right? So now we're kind of, we have a lot of our theology nailed down 2,000 years later, so we could debate end times. Right. right. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. really, and that's why I think that is such a debated topic that's, is because that's a good point. the history is kind of nailed down all the other topics yeah. pretty good, and we have just a plethora of yeah. men who have battled it out good side and bad side, to address. And we've seen the, the truth bubble up and, and rise over and over again. And that's why when we go through the history, yeah. we, we look at, it's not just, okay, what did, what did Calvin believe? Did Calvin believe Calvinism? Well, it depends how you define it. If you define it by tulip, no. Right. Because he never, that, that wasn't even, the, you know, the five points of the remonstrance were actually responded with, and I mentioned this, with eight points of the counter-response. Right. It wasn't a... It, it ended up being a five... 
in the, the end, yeah. the tulip that we would refer to is a response to the five points of the remonstrance, those that were the followers of you yeah. know, Jacob Arminius. But they developed, I mean, within those four years of coming up with the remonstrance, their first eight points got filtered down to the five points, one for each article of the followers of Arminius. Right. And so it's not something that, like, Calvin came up with and said, okay, here's the, the five points. Right. That developed in a response to addressing the errors of other people. And so you ended up seeing how, you know, Calvin goes, Calvin and, and Arminius may not have been that far off, at least in the early life of Arminius. Yeah. Later, as Arminius kept fighting staunchly against Biza, it, 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 it caused the, the division, and their, but their followers went even further. Yeah. And so we have to be aware of church history, especially when we're looking at theology. Yeah. It, it's a big mistake to just think that these things happen in a vacuum and not... Yeah, we're know, standing on the shoulder of, shoulders of giants, yeah, truly. Yeah. I mean, I, I brought up no. the point with, you, you look at Augustus, everyone looks at him. The Catholic Church can look to him. The Protestants can look to him. Yeah. Uh, millennials can look to him. Premillennials looked to him. It's like because he wasn't, he was not clarifying the doctrines the way we have them listed today. Right, right. We've had to refine and refine and refine because error keeps popping up over and over and over. Right. And where it's enough to say, for early century, the church, ecclesia. Yeah. And I have this in my book. What do we believe? I give a history of the church. You look at ecclesia. It was enough to say this is a. a a group of people that are that are gathering together for the worship of God. Yeah, but that didn't stay for long. Eventually, you had to say, "Okay, we got to clarify this." Uh, now we have to say that this is a visible versus invisible church. Oh wait, now we have to say during the time of the the Puritans, no, no, the church is not just a gathering for the worship of God. It's not just the visible versus invisible, but now it's also the fact that this is a group of people that have three things: the preaching of God's word. Yeah. The, the sacraments or, or you know ordinances, and then the which surprises people church discipline. If it yeah. doesn't have those three, it's not a church. Right. Right. Yeah. So so the, the idea of church, just that word, had to be refined through history to be more and more precise because of the fact that error kept cropping up. Yeah. You know what? One of the things that really um, just really threw me when I was young in my faith and going back through church history was how many of not only the disciples and the early martyrs but right up through the reformers were martyred for something as simple as the freedom of i get to say salvation you know is, is by god alone through grace alone and you go we just say that like yeah it's settled we know that and yet you've got reformers being burned at the stake sliced in half right all these things for going against the Catholic Church and, and just stating these biblical things. Yeah. I, I have a, had it's the crazy. opportunity to see a Bible, and I know you, you may not agree with this part of it, but a pastor had a Bible that he cherished very much. And when you open it up, you see the bloodstains of an Anabaptist who was killed because he believed that you should be baptized only as believers. Yeah. And he was slain over his own Bible because wow. of the fact that he had rebaptized someone. Wow. And you sit there and go, like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> like in our day and age, we wouldn't think of killing someone over that. 
Yeah. And, and yet they held the, the doctrines, right or wrong, they held their doctrines so strongly yeah. that they would, they would literally take people's lives over. And, well, but to think that here's someone who gave his life yeah. How easy would it have been to say, you know what? Uh, okay, I, I, you know, we we don't have to baptize, rebaptize. Yeah. Right. But you also so not only do you, can we say, well, people held strongly enough they they would kill someone, but they held strongly enough that they'd say, you can kill me. Yeah. You know, they're they're gonna they're going to hold to their these convictions so strongly. And I think that it's so foreign to this <laughs> to the modern age. That's I don't. What I was gonna say. Most Christians either don't even know those doctrines, or if presented with them, go, I don't care either way. Yeah. You know, and, and and then you've got reformers that were sitting in prison with wives and kids at home for years, and all they had to do, the Pope just goes, "Hey, just say, uh, you know, just say you don't believe in faith yeah. alone. Yeah. That's all you got to do, you know." And, and no, and they held it so so strongly. I mean, could you imagine if we had a true remnant of men? And I think we we're starting to see that here more in America, even that held those convictions those that closely, willing to stand up for the truth. Yeah. You know, yeah. the fact is that Christ gave his life. He died on a cross that we could have forgiveness. Yeah. And then we seem to be more concerned about living a comfortable life on earth. Yeah. Right? I mean, hello, what did he sacrifice? We, we could never make up for that sacrifice. How do we not be a people who are willing to give our life for Christ? Now, I think a time is coming in America. Yeah. I think we're two to five years away where there will be people that are going to have to make the decision yeah. of giving their life for Christ literally because I think the government's going to require it. Yeah. But the reality is, is we're going to see a separation of those who say, hey, I just want this comfortable Christianity, and those that say, I'm standing up because this is true. Yeah. And we need men of conviction. Yeah men and women, but we need people that are going to, Christians that are going to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, yeah. and I'm going to stand on this, and hey, if, if you're going to kill me over this, you're going to kill me over this, because this is what scripture says. Yeah. And that is lacking, and I think you are right, there's, I think that we're starting to see, and this is the, the value of persecution, and I know even in my talk that I gave, people probably, when I said the the fruit of Pelagian, yeah. and everyone was probably like, I saw people looking at me like, what? What yeah. fruit of Pelagian? There, yeah, there's fruit from Pelagian. There's fruit from uh, Erasmus. There's fruit sure. from Arminius. And that fruit is the truth. Yeah. But there's fruit from persecution. The fruit from persecution is that we're going to have men that are going to stand for the truth. Yeah. We're going to have men that are going to stop being willy-nilly and being like, well, okay, let me just, let me see if I can get a big following on social media. Yeah. You know, God's not impressed with people's social media platform. <laughs> right. Okay? But... We need to stand up, and we and I believe that men that stand up for truth are contagious to other men that 100%. want to. Yeah. And what we need is, you know, there's a guy Dan Bongino. He, sure. he he talks he talks politically, but he mentions the second person to dance. And what he means by that, he plays a video of a guy that's dancing by himself. Yeah. And everyone just watches him. But then it's when the second guy gets up and starts dancing. That yeah. everyone else follows. Yep, now we have a We need the crowd, yeah. we, we need men that are willing to not only stick up, stand up to be first, but stand up to be second. Sure. We need people that are willing to stand up and say, I am willing to die on the hill of Christ. And if you, if you want to kill me, so be it. We need people that are going to stand up and say, this is what God's word says. 
I mean, one of the things I love about this conference is we have so many people, you and I, for example, disagree theologically. Many folks here disagree theologically. But we all believe in core doctrines sure. of salvation. Yeah, the Christ, orthodoxy of Christianity, yeah. absolutely. And anyone, you, anyone of the guys here, right? I would hope that I'd be willing, I have to say I hope, because I, I haven't been in the situation, but I'd hope I'd be willing to die for any one of us yeah. here for the, for the sake of Christ. But the thing is that we need people that are willing to do that. We can sit here and joke around about our differences. You know, yeah. I, I, I gave a good plug for Presbyterian view. You weren't there for it. You walked out at that at just the, the two minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to take a real estate call. That's the unfortunate part, part of, of being. Business. Yeah, it's just kind of being on call. But yeah, but but no, there it's, for it. it's like we could we could you know the thing I love about this comment we respect one one of those differences. Yeah, we joke about it, but on the core issues, we'll die for one another. We're, we're going to sit there and, and defend one another. Yeah. You know, um, the conference. Why Calvinism? Posted it. You know, picture one of the speakers. You know, someone someone had a negative thing to say. I'm like, okay, I'm deleting that because <laughs> you know, and I'm about to delete you. You know, it's like, you know, it's <clears throat> it's a thing where I'm going to defend any one of these guys, even though I don't agree theologically with them 100. percent Yeah. Right. I'm, maybe maybe not agree with the Bigfoot of, of uh, <laughs> Jeff, but you know, he wants to believe that that stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But look, we're gonna have, we'll have Leighton Flowers is gonna come here right. at, at a Y Calvinism conference. Uh, I I believe it, most people will be nice to Leighton. I yeah. I believe Leighton will be in heaven. Uh, yeah. In my conversations with him, do I disagree with him on things? Obviously. Yeah. Do I think that you know there's things I wish he would he would take to heart that we would share with him? Obviously. Right. But he's a brother in Christ. Yeah. I would I would stand alongside him when it when it comes to the shooting ring, the shooting gallery of the the government comes in sure right but I wish that we'd have more men that are willing to say you know what I may not be I may, it may not win me accolades from my followers or those who are in my camp right but maybe we need to put down the tribalism yeah and stand up and say no we we got to be one I, I think a big reason why. The government feels they can come after Christians, and this is way off topic of why Calvinism, but yeah. but one no, I know I love that it. you're, I love you're interested in yeah. as well. But I think a big reason why why they can is because Christians don't unite; they're so divided. Yeah, yeah, and and we're we're more interested in our division than we are in our unity. Now, I'm not saying we give up our convictions. Clearly, none of us are doing that here. Yeah, but we have to recognize who the real enemy is, and I think too many Christians treat each other as the enemy. Yeah, I know. Having, you know, as soon as I announced that I was going to be speaking at this conference on the topic, why Calvinism, I started to get hate emails and messages and all that sure. from different people because like, well, Calvinism is just a heresy. But do you understand it? No, you don't. Right. You have a wrong definition. Yeah. And if you're going to argue that, then, you know, you're just causing division. Yeah. Right. And there are people who that they're they're perfectly happy to cause division. You see it on social media all the time. Sure. And I would argue that we had that in history as well. I mean, I think that you you see. I mentioned in the message, you know, Erasmus in his writing of Freedom of the Will. He's 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 basically saying like, I don't even get the issue. It's not a big deal to me. But all my friends, like everyone's kind of poking him. Like you're the guy. <laughs> you got to take on Luther. You got to be the one because someone's got to do it. Right. <clears throat> 
they should have found someone that w- was actually interested in doing it because Erasmus just, just <laughs> didn't do a great job with it, right? Right. But this is where we are in, I think, a, a, a unique place in history. And we have more access to yeah. great theology than ever before. And rather than digging into that and seeing where we are in, in you know, in history and where things are, are seeming to go, we should be doing that. But instead, everyone's like, you know, oh, let's let's fight amongst ourselves. Not only that, but geez, you know how many even believers will, uh, you know, just doom scrolling for hours and hours. And I've been guilty of it, you know, laying in bed when it's like, dude, I could be in the word right now. I have access to uh, many versions of the Bible. I have access to systematic theology books. I have access to writings of the of forefathers and early church fathers. And, you know, you, you had guys pre-printing press where you weren't even able to get uh, written copies of Scripture and yet still said, oh, God will hold me responsible for A, B, or C. Yeah. How much more are we going to be held responsible this day and age when the Lord's like, it's right at your fingertips? You're telling me you can't... Keith Keith Foskey mentioned, if you pick this up, that Martin Luther was basically publishing every two weeks. That's crazy. That that blew my mind. I did not realize that. I mean, to think about the fact that here you got someone who, it's not like he's producing fluff. It's not like these blog articles right. where people are just trying, oh, i got to print on every week, so here yeah. it is. Here's some fluff. Yeah, with some clickbait on it. Yeah, yeah, he is doing rich theological content every two weeks. Yeah. You look at a guy like John Calvin who basically preached every day. Yeah. And what are we doing? Oh, I got I got my social media to get to, and I, I gotta I gotta make sure I snap. I got my selfies, and I posted know. a really cutting meme. Yeah, yeah, from I the mean, guys I don't like. You know, the other tribal group. I mean, what whatever. Is, what are we? We're producing great bumper sticker theology. Yeah, bumper sticker. Oh, yeah. great! Right, you got some great memes. <laughs> it's it really is a thing. You know, it's interesting. There was someone that pointed out. You, you think about years before, just generations before us, even just one generation before us, think about the people that were the, the, the people that you think were very successful, that made major shifts in, in culture. You, you think of a Steve Jobs. Yeah. You think of, a, you know, Elon Musk and you know, all these different people. When did they do all the stuff that we credit them for? In their 20s. Yeah. Right? Where are those people today? They, they don't exist. You know why? Because people are too busy, like, well, we got to talk about transgender, and, and they're not thinking what to create, what to use, what their God-given ability to invent things and be innovative, yeah, to further things. Of, of in, in and if they are, they're 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 in a minority field, so they do pretty well, actually. Like the entrepreneurial inventor kind of, uh, not just only in tech, but if you have that kind of let's build something or let's create something. Um, they seem to do very well because we've seen a shift with Gen Z to where they, they did an interview like three years ago with Gen Z, which is, you know, 19 years and under, basically 21 and under. And they said 65% of them, they said, what, what is your profession going to be? And they said, social media influencer. I'm going to be a millionaire by influencing on social media. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
news alert here, but um, being a social media influencer does not bring any value to the market. Correct. It does not create anything. It doesn't uh, give economic stimulus. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't solve a need in the market. And that's a that's a tough way to go in the next generation. 65% of them are going, oh, I'm going to amass followers mm -hmm. to hear me talk or take pictures or whatever yeah. it is on social media. And I, and I think to, to your point, like you said, like in the 20s, like, man, that's the time that God has given us to really get after it. 20s and 30s. Men should be building things and inventing things and building businesses and creating families and all those things that are good and godly. And um, do that while learning and understanding history. Yeah. You know? You know that uh, if you look, there's an interesting study done, the Nobel Prize winners in all the different areas. Yeah. All the work that they did, where they got awarded in their 50s, 60s, but the, the time that they did the work was in their 20s. Yeah. And so this is the time, this is a period of time for people to be using all that they're learned to innovate, to create. Yeah. And, it's, and in our camp, right, we're talking Christianity, this is the time for people to be thinking rich, deep theology and producing yeah. more content like a John Calvin did, like a Martin Luther did, right. to figure out this theology and, and make it more precise. Instead of saying, hey, how can I sell a book? How can I get attention here? You know, right. we've, we've shifted where people are more focused on producing videos or, or content, trying to, trying to build platforms, right. rather than getting deep into the Word of God to yeah. see how are we going to influence. Look, I believe, I'm, I'm not shy about saying it, right? It'll probably get me in trouble, but I believe that Christians are going to be suffering a great persecution in America within, sure. within less than a decade. Yeah. Okay? Um, I think that we'll have another Holocaust. It just won't be with the Jewish people. It's going to be with Christians in wow. America. Yeah. There, there, you, you have political forces that are getting into power, just like Hitler did. Get out, he got into power by making the Jews the, the, the scapegoat. Well, what you get yeah. in power with, you stay in power with. You have people that are getting into power by, by blaming everything on Christians. And as that happens, Christians are going to be persecuted. The issue is... We don't have the men that we had in the past rising up to give that rich theology that is going to be something that people are going to be able to, to take into persecution and say, yeah. I'm going to stand against this because yeah. the Word of God says. you got to have deep roots, man, if you're going to be persecuted. You yeah. really do. And that, I mean... I mean, we, we, we're going to wrap this up here because we've got to get back to the sessions. But, you know, the, in my mind, the great falling away and these things kind of, that language comes to mind when I look at Western Christianity and go, oh, my. We saw it with COVID. We saw how many churches just oh, yeah. folded. Correct. Oh, we're not open. We're not gathering. We're not. And you're like, what are you doing? But out of that, in that persecution, like you said, we also saw those with, 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 a, with a deep theological and doctrinal root uh, strengthen even more. And I saw some churches, the, the, the true churches grew. That's right. That's right. Shut, and then we shut down the YouTube churches. That's yep. fine. And the true church churches grew, and it was pretty crazy. Yeah. It, it, I, I think there were a lot of people that were in churches they knew were bad. And, and <laughs> like this was the time to get out. COVID was a chance. Their church, was, so they would go somewhere else, and it's like, you know what? I found, I got a new, new yeah. church. This is where I'm going to stay. I mean, I saw so many pastors that would say that. But, you know, this is the thing. We, we need men... They're going to stand up for the truth. 
And I think a conference like this, we're seeing it. We, there's, yeah. I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the number of young guys that are here. Yeah. I mean, you, you, they, I think you can hear them in the background right yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, a lot of young men who want to discuss theology. Yeah. And we and need no them God. to. We, yeah. And we need them to rise up and be prepare this next generation because it's you know there's persecution coming guess what we, yeah. we need to stand up for the truth yeah cool so, well, so where where can people follow follow you and find yeah. you so uh strivingfraternity.org yeah. is is the one place that you can find everything our blog articles our academy courses books books um and then also you know on the podcast you can go to christianpodcastcommunity.org find all the podcasts there but mine are uh, andrew rapport's rap report so yep. it's rap with two p's and apologetics live i mean i i tell people Every Thursday night, eight to ten Eastern. That's a fun show, man. Yeah, yeah. You just get on there. And you just start. Hey, let's answer some questions. Start some fights. Yeah. Well, I never and know make that some I'm friends into a debate. <laughs> like you know, people come in, and they're prepared to debate me, and I don't know I'm ready for a debate. Okay, <laughs> it's on. All right. You know, Blackie Rose like comes in. Okay, I have. You know, Orthodox rabbi comes in and wants to say that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Okay, they're <laughs> all go. prepared. Yeah. I'm not. You know, yeah. and so it's it, Apologetics Live is a fun one, and people yeah. can just check that podcast out, or if they want to join, watch live, just go to ApologeticsLive.com. It's it's a lot of fun. Very cool, Andrew. We got to get back to it, yeah. guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here and, and jumping in, and it's been so much fun just hanging out with you uh, so far. And I know we're gonna have a fun couple extra days here. Yeah, um, guys. As always, remember, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we'll be back with some more segments for you. Stick around. So let me ask you this, and we're, we're rolling here. I'll, I'm going to chop this up into a couple yeah, segments. Yeah, we're not going to play any of what we just said. Yeah, that's, okay. that's true. Okay. Um, how do you determine who to debate and who not to? Because no, no offense to anyone who's just starting or if they're not, you know, it's not that professional, but my time's valuable. I know your time's valuable. I would really want to vet that and go, look, if I'm going to dedicate travel and time and resources, and I, I got to imagine there's people, and we had this last year, honestly, at like, you know, at the conference, some people just want to debate James White right. because it Apes. can go on the resume, right? It goes on the resume, yeah. Uh, so yeah. What, what, is, what is that process like? Um, it, it's, it's different from context to context. Obviously, online stuff's very different than yeah. in-person stuff. In-person stuff, people have traveled. You, you expect some little higher level of professional behavior and something like that. Um, but it also depends on the topic. I mean, there are some topics... You know, I've been trying uh, to get Jeffrey to find a good old rock-ribbed Peter Ruckman-style King James-only guy yeah. to debate. They won't do it for love nor money. And in fact, yeah. there's a guy it's a, sitting in the other room right now who puts amazing videos out against Reformed theology that are just horrific. Right. But he's King James-only, and... When we tried to get him to agree to a thesis topic, he wouldn't agree to anything that didn't only use King James English. Right. As the, so, you know, well, I what, mean, do you, what do you do in a situation like that's that? That's the only you inspired know? word of God. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so it really depends. There are lower-level debates. There are higher-level debates. Right now, for example, we're sitting on our thumbs uh, waiting for a very major Catholic organization to finally get somebody in gear to give us a final answer yeah. on two debates coming up. And we've been trying for months. So you sort of have to go, what's the value of this going to be when I'm dead? Um, right. 
And not every debate that I'm doing right now is necessarily, you know, I've done this will the one this afternoon will be number 185. Yeah. Um, and so I've covered a lot of topics in 185 debates. And you might say, well, why would you even bother to repeat a topic? Yeah. Some of, some of the reasons we, you know, sometimes things have changed. I mean, dealing with Roman Catholicism right now, everything's changing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the last two debates I did with Catholic Answers in Houston last week have been amazing in what they have revealed about what's going on in the crisis within Roman Catholicism yeah. and the, the new directions that Catholic apologetics are having to go. So, <clears throat> it Which would is really quite groundbreaking <laughs> if people follow that. What, if they're, they what they're saying that Pope can and can't do don't. and... Most people have no idea what's going on. It's, it, most Catholics don't. Most Catholics have, <laughs> don't have a clue it's crazy. what's going on within Roman Catholicism. Though, uh, a fellow who helps, he lives in Houston. He used to be a, a member of our church in Phoenix. He uh, helps, you know, like he picked up some grocery stuff for me and things like that on this yep. last trip. Also sort of serves as my bouncer. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he has Catholic, it's an offshoot, but it's still in communion with Rome, Catholic church uh, family members that have just never been willing to listen to anything, just real animosity and yeah. just real anger, they contacted him because of what's happening um, with the Pope and with the blessings of sure. um, individuals in irregular relationships is the, you know, <laughs> I the, do like the, word the, the IRS language of, yeah. of, of, the, of Rome. And he got to meet with them and without pushback and anger, present the gospel, and they were really interested. And it was Francis's weirdness that kind of pushed him there, got pushed, him in pushed that. him in that situation. Interesting. So I see people looking at Eastern Orthodoxy. You know, if they just if if they won't even think about any other perspective, they have to have the liturgy and the ceremony and stuff like that. Now that's why I think it's one of the reasons you see. A lot of movement toward Eastern Orthodoxy right now is because of Francis. Um, but those who are willing to, you know, listen to much more, yeah. uh, it's, it's quite interesting. So anyway, back to the question. Obviously, now at my age and experience, I don't, I'm, not, I'm under zero pressure to debate anybody. Yeah. Anybody who goes, well, you're afraid. That, I'm just like, really? <laughs> right. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, look at the breadth of topics that I've covered in debates. Bart Ehrman, John yeah. Dominic Crossan, John Shelby Spong, yeah. debating in mosques in South Africa. Anybody who goes, you're afraid, I just look at him like, <laughs> okay, you're lit. what color is the sky in your world? Um, yeah. So I don't have to really think about that. I, I want to, again, add to my life's work, but also when I'm in a situation like a smaller conference like this one, right. you know, Jeffrey wants to do something that will be real of real interest to the people that will be attending this particular conference. And so uh, the topic of this one, actually, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, me too. Um, but, you know, I also know that a lot of people will say, yeah, but you're debating someone who's never debated before. Who cares? And it's like, okay, I'm going to have an opportunity to make a real positive presentation of the finished work of Christ and atonement and then answer most of the common objections because I pretty much know where those objections are going to be coming from. Yeah. And, you know, it has its place in this context and it may be helpful to someone down the road. I, you know, I don't, 
the, the thing is, I, I don't know how this debate is going to go because I don't have any way of knowing how my opponent is going to handle it. Right. So, and that's true whether an ex- whether you're facing an experienced debater or not, right? I mean, no, Irwell, actually, if, if it's, it, you, know, it, you know, like when I debated Trent Horn last week, um, I know where he's going. I know okay. how he's going to handle things. You can we kind of go look at the past spent, stuff. And, yeah, well, not only that, but, well, I've debated him before, and yeah. he, he has a large body of work online. Right. You know what his form of argumentation is going to be. And we even did two hours and 15 minutes on the Ali Beth Stuckey show. Um, yeah. in Dallas um, three days before our debates. So, yeah, I knew where he was going to be going. Um, and some of the weirdest debates have been the ones where I was debating someone that I just had no way of knowing yeah. <clears throat> uh, where they were going to go. Uh, last year, the debate here, I could have guessed it, uh, but I hoped for better. In fact, I had met with the fellow and tried to encourage him to not imitate the 19 late 1980s FedEx commercials um, <laughs> where the guy is sitting there uh, talking really fast like a machine gun and uh, you know, I'd even said to him you, you, you need to bring your audience along you need to debate for the audience sitting in front of you all yeah. that was wasted breath on my part so I, I want to ask this question and I'm gonna give you a compliment in my early 20s, I basically lived in your debates uh, because every because there were, even back then, 15, 18 years ago, I could just type in James White and then a subject, and you had a debate on it. I mean, it was Roman Catholicism, right, in these things. What really bugged me and annoyed me is I would get into these debates, and I would realize that generally your opponents, and you were very good at doing this, they were not, they would never answer, I feel like they get away with never answering the question directly they they obfuscate it they jump around it and you would come back and go okay now i want everyone to notice he has not answered the question and how can you call yourself a debater when you can't even answer and it feels like it happens so often james i feel like yeah and you can't and it's frustrating to the viewer because i go i would like a good answer to this right right and i can count on you when they give when they get you know hey what about this you go right to it and go okay directly this is the answer to that. Yeah, and it's just, there's not a lot you can do about that. Um, I'd be that's, frustrated that's why, halfway that's through why, the debate. That's why, for example, when um, when you look at the Roman Catholic debates we've done, I, I, I direct people to the five debates that I did with Mitchell Pacwa because Mitch would always answer the question, and he wasn't playing debating games. So there are people, there, there are people that you will debate who play the debating game. And so they, they aren't really there to, to win on substance. They're there to right. win on style and uh, gotcha moments and things like that. And you can, I, can, I could run down the list. Yeah. Of, Has that gotten better or worse over the years? Or um, has it stayed the same? Uh, I'm wondering if social media and video and all that has, you know, people just a, want to get in there. That's a good question. You know, uh, that's, that's how Jerry Matitix always was. And he was <laughs> right. the first guy that I debated. Um, Trent Horn tends to be that way. He okay. really does. He does the gotcha stuff. And, in fact, it's interesting. Um, I sent him a, a tweet. I still call them tweets. Um, two days ago where I basically said, you know, a couple questions from our, our, our debate, and I asked really honest questions. Uh, he's, he, he made arguments that Rome has never made before, hmm. um, borrowed from Protestants. And so I'm just sort of like, have any church fathers or popes or 
anybody on your side made this type of argument before? He would not answer. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, he, his response was, well, you know, you brought up a, a, a fake papal bull, so the debate's over. I, I just think we should leave it there. And, I'm, and I, you know, in my response, I was like, I think an answer would have been really helpful. And by the way, you're missing the point in what I did bring up. I, I brought up what's called the Sabatine privilege. Ever heard of it? No, I have not. I figured somebody wearing a jacket like yours may have heard of it. Um, <laughs> well, you know what assuming is. Uh, well, well assume. there you go. Um, but the, the Sabatine privilege is uh, <clears throat> something in the Carmelite order primarily. Uh, and I, I bet there were people wearing the brown scapular in the audience when we were doing this. But... If you wear the brown scapular, showing your dedication to the Virgin Mary, um, on the Saturday after your death, okay. Mary will descend into purgatory and release you. And um, you're actually allowed to believe that. They allow the Carmelites to believe that. But there are a lot of, a lot of people who say, no, that, was, that wasn't a real, the Pope never really said that, blah, blah, blah. So it's an internal thing. My point wasn't that. My point was he's actually opening the door to the idea that purgatory might be instantaneous. There may be no time in purgatory. Mm. And the, the fact of the matter is indulgences, yeah. everything that the based church on. taught and did for hundreds of years was based on the idea that purgatory lasts for a long time. Right. It has to have time and to work. There were, there were there were so many visionaries and saints and mystics who had visions of popes who had died hundreds of years earlier who were still in purgatory um that they've they're just willing to throw all that stuff out the window now um mm. and it's and that's why i had brought it up it wasn't i was wasn't saying i think that's a valid thing or whatever else i was saying it's so obvious that people believed in time right in purgatory and um, he's saying and something he totally new. And, and he's, well, and well now, the, now under, the, under Francis, it's, well, you know, the church has not necessarily defined the nature of the fire. In fact, he twice um, had quoted. I mean, that's a huge thing to redefine in the Roman Catholic faith. You would think so. But, hey, um, uh, Francis is doing it, and he's making it so it's going to keep happening. And so that's going to have an impact. But... Um, Anyways, it, yeah, so obviously debating the best the Catholic Answers has to offer yeah. is an important thing to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be getting the most representative Roman Catholic perspective. So right. there's this guy named Taylor Marshall out there that's a Latin mass traditionalist type guy, and I follow him on Twitter because he actually believes in Roman Catholicism. right. Francis just driving him absolutely nuts. And so I actually can interact with someone like that more easily because right. they really believe it's like Mormonism has changed so much. Trying to talk to a modern day Mormon is like trying to nail jello to the wall. It yeah. is just frustrating and it's, it's just not a whole lot of fun to do. Mm. And so this Taylor Marshall guy, you know, he's got some weird views, but he's, he's a conservative. I even suggested him, uh, as maybe being willing to debate. Well, I even, I even sent him Christmas greetings okay. on Christmas Eve. All right. And you could tell he, he could barely bring himself to even respond to me. He detests Protestants. Yeah. And he, he, when, when someone, when I said, would you be willing to consider a debate, I will not appear at any Protestant event. 
I mean, he's just, wow. you know, so, so it's, it, you know, we've got this thing coming up in Louisiana. There's lots of Roman Catholics in Louisiana. They tend to be very conservative Roman Catholics. Yeah. But we're going to have a Catholic Answers guy come in, we hope. Um, and I just don't know how representative he's going to be okay. of the Catholicism that the Catholics that will be coming to the debate That's happening right now. necessarily believe. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, it's, it is, you know, when, when I first started debating in August of 90. And what, what led you into that? Was it, hey, I might be good at this, or I enjoy this, or I'm interested in this? How, how did you get into that first debate? Well, it's interesting because um, I, the high school I went to didn't have a class on debate. Um, the closest thing I came to that was I was the prosecuting attorney in the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald uh, my senior year in high school. Uh, which I really got into, by the way. Um, but um, even my college didn't have debates, so it wasn't something I had done. My experience, actually, was as a radio announcer. I okay. started my sophomore year in high school. I started working Saturdays live on the air, spinning records, um, you know, the whole nine yards. This was before digital and all the rest of that stuff. So you'd literally have records start skipping and stuff like that and, right. and uh, the, the old, old way of doing things. And, um, but what that meant was I had to multitask. I had to do commercials. Um, I would be doing my schoolwork in between records. I'm always watching a clock, you know, UPI world news starts at the top of the hour and I have to, that, that last record I queue up, it's called, uh, back timing. Yeah. And you have to start it. So it will be finishing up at the top of the hour it may be playing while the other records are still playing, and then you have to fade between them, and then you do the ID. I, I, you, have to, you have to watch the clock. You have yeah, to, it's live. It's one take. It, it, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. And There's you, no you, editing. You mess, you mess it up, post. and everybody gets to hear everything. <laughs> right, right, right. So <clears throat> I did that all the way through high school and into college. Mm. And, and so that's always been my advantage in a debate, is that 85 to 90% of the people I debate have no earthly idea how to get their opening statement in uh, without having to rush at the end or say, I'll, I'll finish this up later. And it, it makes them look like they don't know what... I was going to mention right. that. I've watched a lot of your debates with the other guys. Like, oh, what, two minutes? And you're like, oh, well, this is very beneficial yep, for yep. your position. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and every moderator will tell you, I don't have to worry about him. He's going right. to finish it up within six seconds uh, or less before, you know... And, and part of that's just to res- respect the process and to respect sure. the audience yeah. and the topic. Um, but how did that start? Well, we were already doing apologetic ministry with Mormons and things like that. And then in the late 80s, one of our guys, one of our vice presidents, who was a former Roman Catholic, he um, really started pushing me to, you know, yeah, we're dealing, we, we say this about the Jehovah's Witnesses, but have you, have you looked at what Rome does with this? And there's a lot of parallels, you know. Okay. And, you know, well, how about Mormonism? And so... Back then, there was no internet. There was something called FidoNet. Okay. Uh, it was called. It was a bulletin board system. Sure. My dad was into bulletin boards. I remember him. Oh yeah, yeah. B- the BBSs, and yeah. uh, I started encountering Roman Catholics and debating them electronically in that in that context. And so I started writing a book. And we ended up choosing to break it into two books because the appendices were longer than the primary book. So. I wrote a book called The Fatal Flaw and then Answers to Catholic Claims. And um, I was also listening to Scott Hahn and Jerry Matitix. Now, Scott Hahn is still a very well-known Roman Catholic 
uh, guy. He'll never debate me. Uh, believe me, uh, he and I have had some interesting exchanges. But anyways, uh, he was close friends with Jerry Matatix. Now, Jerry okay. Matatix was at the time doing his Ph.D. at West, Westminster in Philadelphia. And he was um, the favorite student of R.C. Sproul's mentor, John Gerstner. Okay. So, Matatix, favorite student, John Gerstner. He is the first ordained PCA minister to become Roman Catholic. Oh, what, what okay. a title. And, so, and yeah. so that really, really upset Gerstner yeah. a lot, that his favorite student became Roman Catholic. Wow. And so Catholic Answers hired Jerry Matatix. And in fact, I showed this picture on the dividing line, last dividing line I did. I found it in my... I like having all my stuff digitally available, but when you have 22,600 pictures in your library, (laughs) trying to find something is next to impossible. But I found it. It's a picture of him sitting in a church, young guy, and I remember what the caption was, I'm the one who stole your loved ones from the Catholic Church. And it was, you know, he's this supposedly this former uh, anti-Catholic and all this stuff. Of course, over the years, I kept asking him, so Jerry... Did you ever write a tract on Catholicism? Anything? A sermon? Can you give us any evidence that you ever did anything about Roman Catholicism as a Protestant? He never could. Um, but he was working for Catholic Answers, and so when my books came out, we sent them to Catholic Answers. And a matter of days later, Jerry Matatix is on the phone challenging me to debate. Wow. And I've been listening to he and Scott Hahn debating primarily Calvary Chapel guys and just steamrolling them. You know, like a tiger tank over a, over a VW. Yeah. I mean, it's just bloom. And so, uh, especially because they didn't uh, know anything about church history. Right. And so they would just, they wouldn't even try. They, they just, just, and they just get tied up in knots. And so I was listening to all this stuff, and they call up and, and uh, challenge us to debate. And so the first debate... Uh, I, Kelly and I flew over to Long Beach, California. We had no idea what in the world we were doing. Yeah. And we go into St. Cyprian's Catholic Church. And in the, not gymnasium, but activity center or whatever area, Catholic Answers has all these big long tables and, and you know, the, the things over them and the things in the back. And, and they, you know, they've got all these tape series. This is back in the days of cassette tapes and stuff like that. All these tape series and all the rest of this stuff. And here's a single table on the other side of the room. Yeah. And we put out a couple of my books because I've only got two. Yeah. The only two books I've got. And they're my dear little wife. Let's see. We had been married for uh, right at eight years at that point. Um, so that would have made her like 26. And so there she stands, uh, all alone over there. Um, and Jerry and I go at it, and it, it went all right. But, you know, it's your first one, and Jerry Matatix can speak more quickly than I can. Yeah. Um, We've got a, I've got about one minute before i got to get up there and announce Jeff. So oh. we'll, we'll do a part two here in a minute. Okay. It's an educational thing, and they followed up after that debate with uh, two debates in Phoenix in December of that year, one at a uh, Protestant church on Perseverance of the Saints, Okay. and the second night was at a Roman Catholic church on 
the papacy. And what's really interesting... <coughs> and this is 1990. 1990, December okay. of 90. City of the Lord. Um, they had never run into anybody who knew anything about church history. And... The debate went really well for our side. It was being moderated by Scott Hahn, who couldn't say anything. Yeah. And when it was over, well, f- first of all, there were Catholics leaving during the debate. Mm. And <laughs> when it was over, um, Hahn, before all the people could get up onto the stage or up front where we were, he sort of gathers me and Jerry, and first he rebukes me. He said, you brought up papal infallibility, and that's not what this debate was about, as if you're not supposed to mention what Rome teaches about the Pope. And then he turns to his good buddy, um, Jerry Matatix, in front of all these people, and says, and you used the Bible as your only source of authority, and you can't do that. And he simply turned around and stalked out of the room and left Jerry standing there with all these really excited Protestants coming up ready to do a a feeding frenzy shark thing. Yeah. And that, I guess, was sort of the beginning of Jerry. Uh, I, I think, I think 91 is when he left Catholic Answers. Wow. It's um, heaven and, forbid Sola Scriptura, huh? You gotta, well, he, he eventually, Jerry eventually became a sede vacantist. Okay. And that's a person who does not believe there is a valid Pope. Um, he's an ultra conservative. Uh, he's gotten into some really weird stuff. <clears throat> the last I knew of Jerry, he was meeting with four or five, six people in the back room at a Holiday Inn uh, around the United States. Somehow raised 14 children. Uh, his Whoa. wife just has to be an abs. I don't care yeah. what her religion is. She, just, she gets to go to heaven just for surviving that. <laughs> and um, uh, in fact, honest with you, the last time I saw Jerry Matatix was on Jeopardy. He was on Jeopardy? With Alex Trebek. Uh, he lost. Didn't even win, win one round, but um, he, was on, he was on Jeopardy. That was the last I saw of him. Well, that, well, that had no years idea. ago, though. Well, that was, oh, yeah, that was a number of years ago. I have no idea what he's doing any wow. longer. Um, but he and I have debated, I think, 13 times since yeah. 1990 on a lot of different topics, from, you know, uh, uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary at the University of Utah. That's, I, I always found that a rather humorous uh, <laughs> relationship to be in polygamous Utah uh, debating the perpetual virginity of Mary with a Roman Catholic. And so I'm not sure how that fits, but, but we did. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, f- for a long time, Roman Catholicism was the big major topic. But then Jason Wallace, the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church up in Magna, Utah, he uh, started arranging Mormon debates in in the salt lake valley mm-hmm. and uh the last <laughs> the last one we did was with dr dennis potter and he comes walking in and he's got a backpack with a sign on it that says no war in iraq <laughs> and he's got an earring just like one yes okay and i'm like and we were debating something about adam as i recall <clears throat> and it, it was something wasn't quite right in this situation. Was it, was it like a marine green hippie? Be- I mean, yeah, the yeah, it was. It, it was. He came it back was, from Nam. Yeah. What's going on here? I I could not really figure it out. <laughs> like Rambo one walking in. And when I when I was leave when I was coming off the stage when it was all over with this this Mormon comes up to me who I had seen at most of my other debates. Yeah. And he just very seriously says, "I want to ask you 
to stop debating us. He says, we don't have anyone who can, who can beat you. That yeah. doesn't make you right, but we have yeah. no one who can beat you. So I want to ask you to please stop debating <laughs> Mormons. And I'm just sort of like, well, um, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they did pretty much, the, the Mormons put the word out. Stop. Like, just don't. Just, it's not worth it. Not worth it. We haven't done it up there in a long, long time now. And what's amazing is Dr. Dennis Potter is now Dr. Kelly Potter. Transgender. No. Yes. Yes. And and is <laughs> you debated an him at the tip of his transition with that earring. I, oh yeah, no. And, and is and is now a, a, a so socialist sad, agnostic. Oh. Right. So oh. and in Pray fact I'm mental. I'm starting to get so Pray old. For his mental health. There's quite a list now of people that I have debated who are dead. Right. Um well, I mean and it, it makes you go. You know, uh, because obviously not everybody I debate is not a Christian, but the majority of them aren't. Right. And some of them are pretty, pretty well known. John Shelby Spong sure. uh, comes, to, comes to mind uh, as someone that's, uh, wow. So, uh, yeah, so we've, we've, covered the, we've covered the gamut. You mentioned wow. the debate with the uh, I didn't atheist. see that coming. I didn't see that I debated a guy and he transitioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that's the way that conversation I, I was going to end. I remember when Jason first contacted me and told me that. I said, you've got, at first it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And then, it's, then you sort of look back and go, mm, okay, yeah, I might have been able to see yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, About the Mormons, though, I feel like they've gotten, they, they had this like push in the 90s and early 2000s where they, their PR team was everywhere. And then the last, maybe even right before like Romney ran, it kind of pulled everything back in. They've become a little more secretive. Kind of what you're saying with your debating. I'm not saying you caused that. No, I'm no, saying, no. I'm saying, I wonder if it's a push by the church to go, okay, let's just pull it back in. A little more Scientologist e to where it's like more private. I just don't see them out there like they used to be. Well, or is, the, the, or is that the just church, my wrong perception? You know uh, more yeah, than I yeah, do. Yeah, that's that. your wrong perception. Um, the, uh, <laughs> that's the why church, we have you on. You got to shoot me straight. The, yeah, the LDS Church is is changing. It's changing okay. a lot. Um, conservative believing Mormons are really feeling lost. Um, you know, there's, mm. there are now LGBTQ groups on campus at BYU. Um, the majority of the Salt Lake City Council is LGBTQ. Oh, I didn't know the that. The City Council of uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, Utah has no idea what to do. You would think that any religion that would stand firm on these subjects, it would be Mormonism, because their God is literally a physical man who begets children. Right. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole priesthood issue is only yep. for men. I mean, they have a gendered God. He has male body parts. Right. And uh, yet, no, they are they're they're inwardly collapsing on all of these issues. And mm. most of you know, when I first started talking to Mormons, we first started going out to the Easter pageant of the LDS Church. That the ten year old kids would come up and argue with argue theology with you know. Now the adults don't have a clue what they believe. Um, hmm. there we, I would have huge groups of young people around me the first years we went out there and they wanted to talk. They wanted to have conversations. You almost have to trip them up and hold them down to get them to talk. So is it just apathy within the church? Is it, I mean, cause well, they, evangelical they believe, church, we're seeing that. They believed they were the one true church then. Yeah. And that was central to Joseph Smith's uh, first vision testimony. Now, uh, starting in the late night, very, very late 1990s, um, they started to try to mainstream. 
you know, back in the 50s, 60s, every Mormon would have said, we're not Christians, we're Mormons. Right. Um, that's not what they say now. They, we're all together in this, and we, we have much more in common than blah, 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 blah. And it has, their numbers are not just flat, they're negative. The back door is much larger than the front door. Okay. The only reason there's still any growth, really, is natural family size. Sure. Just lots and lots of kids. Um, but you can, you can just tell... Back in the 1980s, when I first started witnessing the Mormons, one of the statistics was that, um, at, at one point anyways, the average Southern Baptist church had 274 members, and in an average week, 273 Southern Baptists became Mormons. Wow. So that was one church per week, wholesale, 52 wow. churches per year. Okay, so yeah, that's not so it has that, dwindled. That, yeah, that's not the case anymore. That's, that's not happening anymore. Mm. Um, so they still have a ton of money yeah i mean when that earthquake hit utah uh, about five years ago and moroni fell off the salt lake temple they weren't honest about this but that building almost came down okay and they are literally rebuilding it without taking it down if you can imagine what that requires right uh the money that they are spending on that is astonishing um, and it just is the tip of the iceberg. So it's not like they're going to disappear, but I've said many, many times, all it would take would be one charismatic prophet because they don't have, they, they've, they've stuck themselves in a situation where the oldest, the person with the most seniority on the council of the 12 apostles becomes the new prophet when the old guy dies. Okay. Well, what that does is mean you've, you will always be led by someone who's at least 93 years old. Right. So you're on death watch constantly. You don't have vibrant young leadership or anything like that. And so there aren't any exciting people leading the LDS church. And if, if someone arose, they could get quite a following um, because things have changed so, yeah. so, so, so much. And I don't know what that's going to look like uh, long term, but I, I do remember Standing at uh, the north, no, no, south, east, southwest corner. I'll get there eventually. Southwest corner of Temple Square during the general conference. We're talking to this Mormon, older Mormon guy. And he's telling us about how the church is going into apostasy. We're sort of like, you run into a lot of weird stuff in Salt Lake City, believe me. Okay. But I'll never forget him pointing up to Moroni on the top of the temple and going, within 20 years, there will be a cross up there. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but he was onto something. He, he saw something sediment, I huh? didn't see at that point in time, that there were fundamental changes taking place within yeah. Mormonism. And a lot of Mormons are just really, um, they don't know what to do. Yeah. They don't know where to go. And uh, it's sort of like witnessing the Muslims. A lot of evangelicals are afraid to even try because of ignorance. They don't know. Right. I'm going to say something stupid. They're going to ask me a question I can't answer. Et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, we've planted a church in Salt Lake. It's doing real well. And um, they do a lot of outreach and street witnessing and stuff like that. But there needs to be a whole lot more. Um, Salt Lake City is, 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 a, is a pagan area. It really is. Every kind of religious wackadoodleism takes root in Salt Lake City and always has. Always has. Two, two nights ago, uh, <clears throat> some of the guys were out to eat in uh, Jeffrey Rice and Braden Patterson. We're walking out, and two LDS were walking in and sat down and talked to two, a couple. Are you guys Christian? Yeah, we'd like to talk to you. <laughs> and they, Braden said they both 
about faith sat, and sat down right with them. Hey, yeah, we're Christian too. Can we talk? <laughs> Two hours later, they said, "I think we, I think we saved those uh, that couple." Uh, you know, 40 years of Mormonism, because they were like open to it. Yeah, listen. And Brain said, do not listen to those. They kind of gave them their testimony. But so they sneak in everywhere. They got a couple out here in uh, Tullahoma still oh, sure. yeah. walking around. Yeah. But uh, an in- a question I wanted to ask you, have you, do you have a subject that you go, I wish I could debate someone on that, but it hasn't come up. Something that piques your interest that you might go, I haven't heard a lot on this. There's not anyone talking about it, whether it be a new or old subject. But a, a subject that goes, yeah, I don't think I've really touched on that, and I think that would make for a good debate. Is there? Do you seek after that, or do they just, no. as the subjects come, you go, if I can con- contribute something valuable to this, yeah, I I'll mean, do I, it. I, there, there are topics I won't debate because it wouldn't be worthwhile uh, as far as I, I have no more knowledge than anybody else does. So okay. I try to debate on subjects that, Sure, you have some uh, that are in my, in my wheelhouse, and so might there be some people that I would like to to get to debate uh, because I think more people would end up watching the debate or something like that. Yeah, I suppose, but no, I, I can't can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm like, man, I've just always tried to find somebody. Like I said, here, you know, from, from Tennessee South, what I'd like to do is find some of these loudmouth Peter Ruckman esque uh, King James only guys to to demonstrate that they actually have the courage of their own convictions um, and, and debate the subject. They know who I am, yeah, and I, they just run for the hills whenever anybody says, hey. You, you have more experience with them than I do. My limited experience, and we, we kind of talked back and forth about this guy on uh, Twitter last year, but, it man, came out of the gate yelling at me, telling me, your constituents as an elected official should know that you think all God – sends people to hell and doesn't love right and I, go, I don't know who this guy is and someone private messaged me and said that's the it's the pastor of the king james only church around the corner from you mm-hmm. now from the outside it does not look like a small stephen anderson kind it's a big beautiful church 750 people everyone seems normal <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean but the, the whole point was is um i called him up and i said hey i'd be happy to sit down and have coffee with you i don't need to talk to you and it's like and then they shrink back anytime anyone asks them a question and it, it's just too well. And come to find out, three months ago, uh, him and his whole elder board got removed. He was physically abusing his wife for eight years. So clearly, the man had a, a temper. And mm. I just say that because um, there were some issues there. Uh, it, was, it was actually the clip of the guy that I sent you six months ago and said, "I'd love to see you debate this guy." Because, <laughs> but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't have no. nothing to do with. Not even talk to me. And I'm a nobody. So it's like, uh, it's tough for. It, it's just so tough with the King James only crowd um because i've known them and man it's it's very cult-like uh, it can be there is a cultic unfortunately and and they're yeah. the ones that tend to to yell the loudest yeah but are, are you at liberty to say who what names you'd love you'd like to debate or no you keep play close to the vest who, who's someone that you would like to oh, you sit mean down these you mean these um or like you said just maybe another name that would get some more viewership or something oh i don't know um i'll put my call into jordan peterson yeah no, oh oh yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll call um, Joe Rogan's people and see if I can get you on the podcast. Someone actually tried to... Uh, Gosh, I'd love to see you on Rogan. Someone actually tried to do the, the Peterson thing, and I said, yeah, good luck. I, I've, I know people who know him. And in fact, he spoke at a conference in Washington, D.C. in uh, November of 2017 that I and my daughter spoke at. Okay. And in fact, I was just finding out who he was. I had to find out from my daughter who he was. 
And it was fascinating to listen to him, but um, my daughter spoke right before him, and he was in the audience while she spoke. And I think at least three, maybe four times in his talk, he made reference to her. He says, as, as the previous speaker said, da-da-da-da. Okay. And so that was sort of like, way to go, yeah. Summer. Uh, good job. That is pretty cool. Uh, it, I just feel like um, he understands intellect, and I think someone like you and him, that w- if you guys were to sit down together, I think he's close to being a believer. I think he's searching, but he's letting some things get in the way. Yeah, his wife, I guess, has had some uh, spiritual experiences regarding uh, a healing due to the rosary now. Oh, and okay. So there's Roman Catholic stuff going on there, and so yeah. I, well, I don't know. He 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 gets a little bit into mysticism and stuff, yeah. so I could see how he could fall into that. Unfortunately, um, but okay. So no no Jordan Peterson debate. I just thought I didn't know if you had some <laughs> names out there. You were going, yeah, that'd, that'd be a fun person to debate no, or something. No, and, 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 and people have talked about Rogan and stuff like that. And look, he's he's obviously a sharp guy, but it's 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 all celebrity and. Uh, I know it's celebrity, but it's also if you listen to some of his stuff in the last six months, he's seeking. Mm. Um. And sometimes, look at. Sometimes I think he's an he's an intellectual kind of guy in the way of he wants to try to understand something intellectually first. And I believe the Lord can use intellectualism to then save someone through the actual changing of the heart. And I don't know. I think I think it'd be a fun episode. Uh, so you know, I'll be the first one listening if you ever get on Rogan. Well, with that jacket, you might be the first one. Then, so. <laughs> All right. So let's finish up here. Uh, Give us just a this listeners a little two or three minute preview of what you're debating tonight, and maybe don't give away any of your secrets. This is before the oh, debate. It's not a. It's not a. But, there's, but there's where nothing. are we going with it? Give us a synopsis of it. Like what? There's, what are we trying to? There's nothing secret. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not exactly sure what the fellow I'm debating is going to say. Uh, it's his first debate. Gosh, that's he's a former Calvinist, and that was the only reason I found out about him is someone sent me. Uh, links and I yeah. watched a few things uh, one night in my RV and made some comments on the dividing line and uh, uh, when this conference stuff came up I was just trying to find people who would be willing to debate the guy that we had last year I didn't want to debate again I just didn't feel like it was worthwhile yeah and so I threw out uh, one fellow who is here but like I said evidently only wanted a thesis expressed in King James English. Um, and so we didn't go there and then contacted this fellow and he said he'd be willing to do it. So I'm just going to present a um, hopefully compelling biblical argument for particular redemption, uh, the harmony of Father, Son, and Spirit in bringing about the redemption of God's people. My assumption is I'll be spending a lot of my time on the standard uh, texts of uh, First John two two and and Second um, Peter two and a few passages uh, that are always thrown back our direction sure. without a whole lot of interaction with the actual thesis that I will present. Um, but I could be wrong. We'll find out. Yeah, um, that's something we'll we didn't really touch on, which is really uh, people need to realize too if they're not really big in debates. It's not like you guys go over each other's notes. Hey, by the way, I'm going to be coming from this text. You have to respond on your feet. They could be bringing in something that okay maybe didn't think of that or a verse that they're yeah. construed. I mean, it's okay. I, I, they present, I am instantly back up respond or well, sometimes later in the debate responding to that. That's a, for me, that would be a little unnerving just going, I'm, I'm kind of going into it blind. 
They could throw a wrench anywhere. You could throw a wrench, you know, into his plans. So it's it, yeah, there's got to be a mutual respect there to be able to respond to those in things. In this situation, um, he has the advantage of obviously knowing exactly where I'm going. Right. Because I've written books and there's years and years worth of stuff. And now <clears throat> you can search on my website for everything I've said in every dividing line, <laughs> sermon, church history class, debate for uh, literally 20 Wow, 98. So, yeah, we're talking 26 years now for a quarter yeah, century. That's crazy. So it's easy to know where I'm going. Well, we'll be praying for you. We're looking forward to it. Uh, and um, we're going to have everything linked up. You know, uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries, Dividing Line, all that good stuff. It'll be linked up here, guys, underneath the uh, episode. Make sure you click on it if you're not already following and listening and all that good stuff. You guys know how influential James has been in my life, uh, and I'm sure yours too. So, Doctor, uh, thanks so much for sitting with us uh, for a little bit, discussing it. Guys, as always, remember the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God bless. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.